Whoa. 360-667-336. 619-663-7336. That haunts my dreams, and I can't remember it. <laughs> Roman. 140 episodes. 140 Man, episodes. Cheers. Oh. Hey, cheers. This one's, hey. Kick your feet up. This one's this one's on us. It's all over me. It's all it's all over me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ooh, that's good. You taste the hint of watermelon in there. That's how the yodel was born. That's been a big <laughs> part of today, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Acceptable <laughs> podcast episode 140, a spectacular all Q and A uh, episode of the podcast. Where every Tuesday we would normally go get a bunch of comic books and pick them up or bring them back and sort them all that stuff, read them, come back, talk about them. This week we are doing a very special thing because every one of you is wonderful, and um, well, you're all very very good, but a select few of you sent us questions. Oh, yeah. Did, I, just, I thought, were I thought you, you were saying, talking about somebody else. Well, you think I was talking about you guys? Because that's an appropriate response. But our listeners, <laughs> oh, our viewers, them. they are great. Oh, yeah, they're good. They're uh, great. Uh, oh, do you think I was talking about us now? Because that's an appropriate response. We're marginal <laughs> at best. <laughs> um, but So, yeah, we're, uh, we're not really going to talk about any comic book sick. There's not going to be any comic books that we talk about. Brackets sick. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jeff, and I'm glad that we're not talking about any comic books because there's not a comic book that would have come out this week that I would have wanted to talk about. I'm Django, and uh, it's a fifth week, Jeff. Like you got to keep your expectations low for I'd, a fifth week. I didn't walk into this week with a low expectation, but I did walk into it with a burgeoning ear infection <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of meat in your gut. Oh boy, howdy! Did I meet this gut up? Did you get meat foot? Uh, yeah, I sent you a I sent you a message saying I had meat foot. I know. I was just saying that for the the viewers. Oh yeah, I'm Roman. I I guess I also had low expectations. Oh fuck you. <laughs> oh fuck you. No X puns this week. Um, so let's get right into it with our very first question. Now we got a, we got there was a there was a number of people who actually sent us several questions, and we're really grateful to all of those people. We have a a huge number of questions, and I can't remember <clears throat> if it's. Dearth or boon is a lot. And we, one... have, we, we have uh, a boon. We have an embarrassment of questions. Yes, okay. a cornucopia. Yeah, dearth is none, buddy. I, I, I can't keep them. I can't, I can't keep them. We got, a, we got a dearth of questions from Roman's mom. What the 
Yeah. Huh? She didn't call yeah. us. There's oh, none. Okay. Yeah, she, doesn't, she never gets involved. Yeah. She's, she respects boundaries, and I appreciate that about <laughs> Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Denise. Super boundary respect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get into this. Uh, first question. This is from Dino, who we will hear from again. Hi. What are your thoughts on House of X? I am excited, fuck you, <laughs> and think this will be an excellent, fuck you, new direction for the X-Men. I'll allow that one. And can't wait for X-23 in Fallen Angels. Thanks, Dino Chapino, <laughs> whose phone now autocorrects to Chapino, um, which is very good. What an excellent question. Fuck you. <laughs> that... That's exactly what he's talking Fuck about. Fuck you! This is so bad! This is so bad! If you Anymore, and I'm just going to trash the podcast, gonna, I'm going to start back you're over. You're going to leave? You're going to walk right through the exit? I think about it every week. No, I don't. I was just in Austin, Texas, and I spent two exciting days. Oh, fuck you! Incredibly uh, excited to come back here. Uh, and now I'm pretty pumped. Guys, House of X number one by Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, and Marta Gracia came out this week. We ordered a lot. We sold out of all of them. I was incredibly excited. My flight was delayed. I was supposed to be back at 11 o'clock <laughs> at night. I didn't get back till 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, rolled into the comic shop before going home. Picked myself up a copy of this and read it all. Uh, I finished it at 3.48 a.m. <laughs> but I was not going to bed this last week on Tuesday without having read this GD book and I, I hate to say it. No, I don't. I can't believe that it lived up to my level of excitement. You guys, what did you think? I, I can't believe it li lived up to your level of excitement also. Yeah. I <laughs> did not like this book. I, no, I liked it It was it so lot. crazy the number of people he told to not buy this book today, but it was all right. I was singing enough praise for all of us. No, I liked it a lot. Um, it's about time Hickman wrote the Fantastic Four. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, we did get a couple pages of Fantastic Four in there. Uh, so the setup, well, Jeff. Jeff I don't, or Roman. I don't know that I'm like <laughs> primed to do this. Well, I you read it 19 times. I did read it two times. <laughs> Not 10 times? Within the first 12 hours of having it. <laughs> and that has been unheard of for me. It's all I've thought about since reading it um, <laughs> is, is wanting to read it more and what's going to happen in it. And I'm incredibly excited that we're getting six issues of this and six issues of Powers of 10 coming out in alternating weeks. Um, that's... Wait, Powers of X. It's called Powers of Ten. What? It's, it's both. Ugh. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't like. But you can read it. Ew. As, but you can read the titles Powers of X, however yeah. you want. But it's really yeah. Powers of Ten. Um, Django is so bummed. So about it's also that. House of Ten. <laughs> no, it's not House of Ten. It's fucking House of X. <laughs> right, and Powers of Ten. Sure. I like this comic. Yeah. I just don't like that conceit. It doesn't match. I think that's the point. Yeah, I don't like it. Oh, okay. Well, I like your shirt a lot. It, it matches. It, that's it, my point. That's why you like it. <laughs> it. It both annoys me, but I do like it too. Yeah, it's... I mean, I, I'm not going to call it Powers of Ten, but... No, I've mostly been calling it Powers <laughs> of X to people, but it is yeah. Powers of Ten, yeah. Huh. Um, but I like well, the ex exponential growth thing. That's cool. I'm no. not going to say fuck you because I do think that you just said exponential. And oh, I didn't even mean it as a pun. Uh, that was an excellent that's... dodge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so this... You know, he's been working on it for a year and a half. Uh, we finished up Matthew Rosenberg's run. And this kind of does a clean slate to everything. Uh, a lot of people had died. We don't really know exactly what's gone on the time between these things. But we start this issue uh, with some time jumps of five months ago, four months ago, three months ago. And, and 
throughout these time jumps, we're seeing people plant these flowers in very strange places. Uh, Krakoa, Westchester, the Blue Area of the Moon, Mars, the Savage Land, Washington, D.C., and the Jerusalem habitat in New York, I believe. And we're introduced to a group of seemingly politicians who are discussing a proposition that has been made from Charles Xavier, and it sh uh, alludes to an offer that he made that would allow people to extend their, by using a miracle drug, expand their their lifespan by five years, uh, cure all maladies of the brain, like all, all mental uh, issues, dementia, that, all that sort of thing. And... Um, and the third one was what? I can't remember now. Well, it's right here. It's right here. Uh, um, just, there was a universal antibiotic. Oh, yeah, universal antibiotic. So just cure, cure disease and, yeah. and brain uh, maladies. In humans, but then there's also some separate drugs for that only work on mutants. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what happens is these politicians are then greeted by Magneto and the Stepford Cuckoos. Cuckoos? Cuckoos? Cuckoos. Cuckoos, thank you. <laughs> And we are taken to Krakoa where we are seeing, we basically get a, an exposition dump in the form of a conversation between these politicians and Magneto, the Stepford Cuckoos, Cuckoos. <laughs> and uh, it's spelled weird. And, and we're also seeing like Marvel Girl with these young mutants and using Krakoa seeds, which are the flowers that we had seen, they have started making these gateways that can transport you to anywhere where these seeds have been planted and there's sort of a home base on the island of Krakoa which has now risen out of the sea and it's where only mutants are allowed and it's a safe haven for them and yeah Krakoa is new so so my relationship with the X-Men mostly ended around the time of Bishop okay I've, I've, I've dipped in and out since then I've read all of the Grant Morrison X-Men but that felt like Kind of a Krakoa to its own, almost like it. It didn't. It felt like its own kind of self-contained thing. Krakoa has definitely been around for a while. Okay, yeah. and okay. it's like I don't know if it was a person mutant or if it's like the Earth, but it is a living mutated Earth that has been in the Savage Land and in the Jason Aaron Wolverine and the X Men run. The the whole ma mansion and the school that they started was on Krakoa, and sort of it was living oh, and changing right. okay. all the time. Roman, but it's old. It's older than that. Krakoa is the uh, the island that the original new X Men, Banshee and 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 Wolverine, all them. Well, no, not Wolverine. <laughs> that were the new X Men. They went to the island to fight something. They were captured by the living island. And then the second team of new X-Men, this was revealed later, that this original team was trapped on the island. The second team that Professor X assembled, Nightcrawler and Wolverine and all them, Colossus, was sent in to rescue the first team of original X-Men. Okay. And Krakoa was, so that was 1975 okay. or whatever, Giant Size X-Men number one. Somebody and, named Django needs to read Grand Design again. Well, what is amazing is Hickman <laughs> does a very Hickman thing, and he explores the potential of Krakoa as an idea in a direction that I don't think has been explored. Yeah. And it's the idea of these seeds. And one thing I like about the X-Men is that it can all kind of fall apart when you take powers, like mutant powers, to an extreme. You know, you can... I have a friend, Nick, who's always like, yeah, G Gambit's an Omega-level mutant. You know, his if you take his power of what he can do, he could charge the Earth and turn into like a giant... You know, like, mm -hmm. arguments like that. Like, the potential for X-Men when you think right. about it on a sort of 
metaphorical way. Like what are the rules for their powers yeah, and, and where does and it stop? Ha- exactly. Yeah. And, and Hickman is really working to define that in here. But as we're learning about Krakoa and, and this island that they're colonizing, we're learning that Charles Xavier is asking <clears throat> for mutants to be able to be left alone, uh, granted amnesty, no humans would be allowed on Krakoa, but we're going to give you this incredible gift in the form of these miracle drugs. And then we cut to a thing in space that's going on where we learn there's an organization called Orcus that is comprised of AIM, Shield, Strike, Sword, Alpha Flight, Hammer, Armor, and Hydra. And Hydra and Alpha Flight are not acronyms. No, but everything else Everything else is. And this is a, a system that was an observation system, but once it reached some sort of threshold of posing an in possibly inappropriate or intimidating amount of influence the mutants would be having on the world, uh, it, it triggered some sort of defense mechanism. And what happened is they learned, a big thing that has happened is we've learned that while we never thought mutants were going to be the dominant species on Earth, we were wrong. And in the beginning of Graham Morrison's run, there was a Genosian genocide uh, by Cassandra Nova, and it killed a huge percentage of the population of mutants. But as of about a year ago, which I think roughly timelines up to when Bendis was writing, because that was when I Mm. think mutants started showing up again. Okay. They've started increasing in uh, the rate at which they're appearing to a point where they're hypothesized that in 20 years... uh, Homo superior would be the dominant play, you know, person on the planet, and humans would not be, and it's, it's, a, it's sort of an inevitability thing. So the humans are now, this organization has created this amazing idea of what looks like master mold and a satellite orbiting a sun as some sort of defense mechanism to the X-Men. Um, and then we're taking this crazy scene where Sabretooth and Mystique are breaking into a place, and the Fantastic Four stop them. And they're going to, like, take him to custody. And Cyclops shows up and is just like, oh, how are you guys doing? You guys are great. And, and he's just glad-handing them. And he's trying, like, well, I'll take Sabretooth now. <laughs> and they're like, no, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And he's like, you're a smart man. You know what amnesty means. He's coming with us. And they're like, no, he's not. Uh, and he's like, all right, well, we'll come back and deal with this later. Which I really liked. Like, he, he was just kind of – he's just kind of showing them his ass. Like, this is a thing that – that this is a precedent we want to set. We're not going to fight you about it, but get ready because this is a thing that we're going to insist on at some point. Right. And as we go through it and these politicians are here, we actually learn that they're all kind of spies and not who they're pretending to be. And they have these defense me- mechanisms telepathically. But Magneto gets real passively aggressive. Like he is straight up aggressive and just handling these people with a sense of dominance and we're learning that the make the the mutants are sort of recognizing themselves as the gods of this planet the new rulers of this that's not a planet though right it's all of earth but um okay you know they're they're sort of the future of this and that's kind of like so that's a very brief rundown on this, and we should go into it more. But the main conceit of this seems to be the X-Men owning the fact that they are an advanced species and are taking their perceived place at the head of the table uh, on who is populating the Earth. And they don't really super care if they come across as pushing their their sense of power or ownership there and... So I think one of the things that you sort of glossed over is that Professor X is on this team. Yeah. Fully 
apparently kind of on Magneto's side as far as like mutants are the future and better than humans and like we're going to let you have a chance to coexist with us but if you don't do what we say kind of you know fuck off and die yeah um which and and also something that i notice is that uh charles never takes off his helmet he's he's walking around maybe still in the body of phantom x right right. and he's walking around with like a a a shrunk down version of cerebro that looks with with his black skin tight suit and skinny body doesn't look totally unlike the maker yep um so, like, we don't really get a good feeling for where Charles is coming from. Just that these are th- it's these are things that he's doing, but we don't know his motives or you know if if he's being controlled or if he came to this decision on his own. And that's you know one of the things as we get into it that I love so much about this is that every idea brought to the table in this issue fills me with a sense of distrust of the mutants, mm-hmm. but also a sense of understanding of where they're coming from. But there are all, there's just a great sense of what is going to happen here. Right. Like, everything seems to have a built-in flaw to me, or like what mm-hmm. is going to happen here? Oh, only Cypher understands the language with which he started with Kakoa. Like, and That's Cypher? Yeah. And there is something very menacing about Charles, but to me there yeah. always has been. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And it made me wonder too, the same thing Django mentioned with having that cerebral helmet on and not getting any insight into his motives. Because Krakoa, if I remember correctly, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but when he trapped the original X-Men and had them all captive in his like organic cells formed of its body and that's um, what's he, on these opening pages right are those kind like, of i was uh, yeah kind of yeah and his birthing new mutants i guess i, I don't know what you're but talking it, about i don't know well that it made me think i think krakoa part of the way, way he kept the original x-men captive is stimulated their their pleasure centers or something but had them Pleasure. believing that they were like in some idyllic existence or something so they wouldn't even try to resist or escape because they didn't realize they were trapped Dude, and I'm kind of wondering if that's what's profe- it's done to Professor X, and through X is con- then controlling everybody else. I think that's influencing a, everybody the else. Big com- well, so in, in my read of it, yeah, exactly. This big conversation is: is this happening? Yeah. Is or was anything else happening? Well, that's a counterpoint. No. What do you mean? Well, uh, were these X Men dreaming about the movies that Fox made? <laughs> They've been in there this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the and to me, it is undeniably Hickman. There's just these things. Of, there's just these <laughs> graphs and these charts and these infographics. I was not excited to read as much as I was going to have to read when I flipped through this when we got it, um, just because I kept running into pages of dense text and graphs. And it took a long time, but it flew by. Like, I really enjoyed it. I read every word on every one of the infographic pages. Um actually thought about him. I I had the thought while I was reading this book, like, this must be what it's like when Jeff reads most comics. (laughs) He thinks about him instead of just trying to get to the next one. Dude, my first read of this, I reread every bubble of dialogue that didn't immediately make sense to me. Like, Mm I I kind of, between panels was like, did I get what happened there? And I would reread it because I was also very late at night and I had traveled for 18 hours that day. But... I just, I cherish this book. I can't describe, like, I just, 
I love it. I'm so excited for this journey and I think that, you know, I, I've long said that Hickman and Morris are my two favorite writers. And to me, Hickman has a higher success rating. I think I trust him as a writer more. Mm -hmm. He doesn't always plunge to the depths of resonance that Morrison does. But I think that if I had to place a bet on the two of them about if they're going to write a story that I like, he's just... It's like I just am so excited thinking about it. I was yeah. so excited to read this for days, and the, yeah. Plus Hickman's, yeah, his I, exploration of his ideas is more consistent. Because sometimes I love Morrison, but sometimes I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Whoa, where'd we go? Yeah, I don't get it. Okay, back. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and there's just this grounded nature to Hickman. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, I went, I had the same thing, Django. That uh, when I looked at this, at first I was like, oh my gosh, oh, look at all damn these it. thick tech pages. <laughs> text pages I but i read every single word and Never. i even and i'm not a numbers guy usually when i come across numbers in in text i skip over them mm -hmm. it's like putting pushing but, that button on a computer with a little circle and the stick through it yeah yeah but in this i read i read all the numbers i don't know what some of the tiniest numbers mean in brackets but it was all so interesting well and that's that hickman design thing because yeah. like they don't matter you can tell a lot of times <clears> like just the title pages in these brackets say cry bracket you know, point one. Yeah. <laughs> it is a puzzle box. It's like a Rubik's Cube that is tailored to the type of thing that I love. This story is a puzzle box. And I understand that it's not for everybody. And I do think that some classic X-Men fans might really dislike this de departure. Really? Oh, that's okay. But yeah, but this is... Sorry, everybody. I think so perfect to me. And I'm just glowing thinking about it. I love it. I'm so excited much. to read X-Men again. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been a long time since I read more than a couple issues at a time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. And, and I'm a classic X-Men fan, but I like the way it's – the things it's tied into and the nods. I mean, when we saw the master – or I think it's called Mother Mold in this. I saw mm. it somewhere. Or is it Mother Mold? Well, I saw Mother Mold somewhere in okay. tiny print somewhere in this okay. book. But, yeah, when I turned that Mother page and mold. saw the mother – the what I thought was Master Mold head there, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this, yeah. This is some serious shit. That was shit. such a good reveal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I – by the way, there's spoilers in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For this one issue that we're talking <laughs> yeah. about because it's not, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, some of the – Wolverine's playing with kids and super happy. Yeah. That can't be right. Wolverine's no, it playing can. with the it power is. pack. Jason Aaron, Wolverine and the X-Men, he started this school. He's the one who carries the spirit, I think, of the fatherly oh. aspects of Xavier. See, a lot of that I didn't read. It, it, Wolverine is gruff exterior guy. He's Django. What, what he's – you know, arguably cooler, but Django is surprisingly good with kids. Mm -hmm. Come here, Jeff. Let me show you how yeah, the yodel was born. <laughs> so, so I, I did. I liked that part. I thought it was very true to things. One thing worth mentioning: the big thing I was concerned about was the art. I don't. I've not been impressed with Pepe Larraz much before, and mm -hmm. I've not been impressed with R.B. Silva before. And this is not the type of art that I would say, "Holy shit, look at this art!" But it is absolutely fine there it's it's very pretty at times it doesn't reinvent the wheel i think that when i read a hickman book I, he's very good at cultivating very unique artists that's not really happening here but it is it is it doesn't detract at all mm -mm. but it doesn't blow me away but there are some moments like the mother mold or master mold re revelation that is amazing that, that page like the art yeah, is very it, good it is and, and i especially liked the organic look of krakoa's gross growths in yeah. various spots um, and I appreciated that from its first appearance as the island I didn't care about the art like at all like there you was, didn't mind it or you didn't care for it 
There were there were two panels that I thought, oh, that's a good drawing. Yeah. And one of them was that master mold, mm-hmm. and that is a plotting thing that made it interesting. Yeah. It wasn't a good panel. It was just a good reveal, and I don't think I would credit the artist with that. Um, the the one that I really enjoyed was on page two, right before uh, Xavier says to me, my X Men. Yeah. Like that shot of him. Yeah. Is that, exciting, but the everything stance, else, the, the the almost feminine nature of that stance is incredible. He's excited, like he's he's got ants in his pants there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like other than that, it was it was good enough. And that's, and that's I, I guess that's what you get. But I was, uh, I was worried about the art. Yeah. And I was, when I got it, it never detracted. Right. But it's a I bummer would, that that's the like that's what you can say about an artist's thing. Also, this is three hundred and ninety-four pages, I think, <laughs> and it's coming out every other week. So if if we can keep Laraz through the whole thing, they're done. Like it's done. Well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll yeah. Uh, I'll allow it. Yeah, it, I'm just so excited for the next twelve weeks. I get every week I get a Hickman book with X Men in it, and twelve weeks, and that makes me like I I am jacked about Tuesdays. I was in Austin for a week. I missed a Tuesday. <laughs> I'm so like I like yeah. long for it, and this. It makes me even more excited for every Tuesday for the next 11 weeks now. Yeah, I'm really excited about this and the, and the fact that Hickman exploring kind of turning uh, Lee and Kirby's idea of the X-Men on its head with making the X-Men like the the master race, maybe. And it's <laughs> so mutants. interesting to have Magneto be on the other side of that argument while still representing the argument that he's had. Like, yeah. But to be comfortable saying you know, we're the superior species and to treat people the way that he would have been treated in World War II. Like, yeah, not right. so extremely, but like, that's an interesting, he he doesn't betray any character, no. but he explores aspects of things that make it feel new and unique. And I just love it. Yeah, that's gonna be really, him finally being able to go, okay, yeah, I was right. And here's how it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm yeah I just want to open up a big old fish shop with Roman where we're just selling gooey ducks because I'm giving this thing a goddamn ten. Oh yeah, powers of. And I honestly oh, I could oh, I could oh, say oh. I could say a nine point five like I'm trying to be objective about execution I think a nine or to <laughs> no, nine point five if it, about if it, the art but if it kicked you in the love nuts it kicked then me it in the love nuts I read yeah. it two times like it just yeah. it made me so excited. Uh, it's the I, last comic you read twice in twelve hours. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of one because I'm always thinking about how many I should read and all I wanted to do. And to this day, to this moment, all I want to do is read this issue again. Yeah. I'm going to feel that way until Powers of Ten comes out. Um, Jeez. I'd give it a nine. Yeah. Yeah. The art, the art was enough of a bummer that I can't give it, I can't give it a 10 and not, not even a bummer, just uh, unremarkable, I think. Yeah. And I do. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely not bad. Yeah. It's absolutely not interesting to me at, at, at any real it's it's almost point. definitively a house style to marvel yeah, there's just nothing special about it and there is something special about the writing i, th- I think this is a really really well written and well um like you executed. can tell that it's really well thought out did you say executed yeah but i didn't mean it that way uh-huh. it's like methodically uh-huh. executed fuck you <laughs> i like it roman are you selling clam sushi with me for the next 12 weeks oh, 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 oh. i am i am I, i'm <laughs> definitely giving this a 10 um, though I agree about the art, but still, I mean, the writing, 
And I love these little text pages he does with these breakdowns that kind of fill you in on things that maybe you not only expand on the themes of his story, but also fill you in on stuff that maybe you didn't know about. Like he refers to Franklin Richards and that. Cyclops is such an ass as he walks through yeah. and tells the Fantastic Four, Franklin Richards' actual biological family, yeah, tell your son Franklin he's always got a family with us. Yeah, it's so <laughs> menacing. And then they have this yeah. text page with the breakdown of Omega-level mutants and it ha- fr- highlights Franklin Richards, <clears throat> who who's hu- the only human on the list, but had universal reality manipulation powers because he's a mutant. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, Dino, I hope we answered your question. I forgot <laughs> yeah, what well, it was. What was the question? <laughs> what is important to know about this is this is episode 140. This is all Q&A. This is going to be long. We're going to try oh, yeah. and censor ourselves a little bit so it's not a five-hour show. Oh, fuck you. But it's I'm going to try not to have to I, lot, spend a lot of time I, editing I it down. should have got two bottles of whiskey. Oh, I got a bottle of whiskey. Oh, that's I got right. two bottles of whiskey, man. We're, oh, we're good we're for, for almost four hours here. So, voicemail, email? Oh. Uh, let's do a voicemail. Oh, All right. geez, that's my job. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's see here. We got we got some voicemails. Uh, let's start. And this is going to be long, everybody. This is going to be a couple-day <laughs> oh, yeah. podcast. You listen to a chunk <laughs> of it, you come back the next day, you listen to a chunk of it. It's in honor of House of X, you know? You just keep going. You just keep going. Go back to it. I'm listen sorry again. we sold out of this book, everybody, but we're getting more in. Yeah, in there'll week. be more... First Prince, Second Prince? Second Prince on the 7th, so a very quick turnaround. I don't know if this is meant to be for episode 140. Cool. I don't think that we've answered this question yet. So, uh, let's... Oh, it's for 140. Sure it is now. Hey, everybody. It's Nathan Butcher. And I have a suggestion. I think it'd be really cool to hear a little bit more about, like, what is generally popular in sales in Bellingham. Um, so I'd be interested in hearing something like, what is the biggest selling issue each week or something like that just a stat that shows us like what people were really into Probably the uh, I know you talked about that issue a couple weeks ago <laughs> one of the reasons why it was sold a ton might have been funny but um, it's interesting and I loved hearing about that so that's my suggestion um, to hear maybe some like stats or metrics about sales or like a surprising sale of the week something that ended up selling out I don't know anyway thanks for the podcast again you guys are great um, I'll uh, listen next week and see you in the Okay, that is that is a good que- suggestion. I dig that. Um, it is always interesting. There are a couple things like Batman's our highest selling subscriber book. That's one of the yep. reasons we always talk about it. We order more of that consistently. It sells better than anything else. It's also well done. But because there's always some sort of event going on, I would say that whatever right. the current event is, usually from DC or from Marvel, probably beats Batman by about fifteen percent. Yeah. Um, and so, like War of the Realms, I think we were probably twenty or thirty percent up from Batman, from exactly. Batman. But but a lesser event or something that's not uh, executed executed quite as well is but it, uh, lower. But it would be awesome to try and make that a part of the weekly podcast of just bringing up here's a surprise thing that sold better than we thought like for example a couple weeks ago second coming yeah you know we sold out in the first it became apparent that we were going to sell out within like two hours because of how much we all liked it and how little there was of it and how it got an amount of national press like that is definitely uh, like outside of the comic book world getting press about a book will kind of blindside us sometimes and those those things are hard to predict so things like second coming we didn't find 
we didn't find the ceiling on it. Like we don't know how many we could have sold because we sold out. Yeah, we could have early. sold three times as many of it. And that's all stuff that makes ordering comic books incredibly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well like well like when they brought Marvel brought back Conan recently. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. classic old character. We weren't sure how many people would actually still care. We went in pretty hard on it. Yeah, those early issues of Savage Sword and Conan the Barbarian, and those all sold great. Yeah, and we actually had enough for them. The problem with that yeah. one was uh, issue three on both of those yeah. series. Yeah, also right? people kept adding it and Yeah, people kept keep up. adding it, and we assumed that it was going to go down a little bit because we didn't have enough metrics. So um, because we have to order everything two months in advance, and then we get to tweak the orders a month in advance with very limited sales data, it is kind of like shooting shooting blind, and it's a lot of fun as well. I really like doing it. I, I think generally we do a pretty good job of having having those things. I'm sure there are some people who have weird little gaps in their right. series because we can't. And that's my bad. It's not your bad at all. It's It's an impossible situation for any comic book store. And I think that we do a really good job of it. You do a really good job of it specifically. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do, Jeff. Cause, and people come in all the time and they're surprised like, oh, you still have this on the shelf. Cool. And I've looked everywhere for this. The other thing that like the, the challenge that we face that a lot of other stores don't face with this is that we're the only shop in town mm-hmm. and we're in a college town, which mm-hmm. has this weird like fluctuating kind of breathing pulsing population of comic fans so we've got no idea how many new students are going to arrive who give a shit about comics right and it's it's like well fingers crossed and if they, they're gone for christmas for that month what do we do with our uh, sub counts uh, yeah what do we do with summer? our christmas specials yeah. oh yeah. shit now we have a million of them <laughs> yeah um and that's, yeah I, I think i think that'd be a fun a fun segment to kind of add when we've got something that we notice well this x-men no, we ordered fuck. the shit out of this we, X-Men book. Yeah, yeah. How many of these did we so, get? So check this out. Just inside baseball. I'm sorry if this is fucking boring to everybody, but we had 50 people signed up for this book. And a lot of that was automatically subscribing, people carrying them over from yeah, the previous X-Men The Rosenberg series. X-Men run. I signed those people up for this book. Which is a good and, guess. And powers of 10. And it is a good guess. And we also then, Django and I sat and talked about, well, what did we sell on the reboot of, like on the first issue of that Rosenberg X-Men? Mm. And... Um, we over-ordered by 10%. We ordered, I think, like 60, and we had six left. Yeah. Um, and so we ordered this one. My gut was to go 75, but we got a slight discount if we made it to 83. So we ordered 83 copies of it, and they shorted us five copies, which means that we got 78 copies in. Plus variants. There's about a dozen variants, yeah. I would say. So almost 100 Almost on a book that we had 50 subscribers for, which means we had tw- on the day of release we had 28 copies on the stand minus the four that you know yeah. the employees took home. And the day of release was yesterday. Yes, and we had three left this morning, and we were sold out by like one. 23 plus most of the variants. Yeah. Right. Yep. With our midnight release that I didn't get to come to because of my darned airplane. But so like th- that was a big surprise to me. I I yeah. thought that I, I expected us to. S- like when I saw how many we pulled and how many we had left and read it and like kind of thought about it that that night before the midnight release, I was thinking we'll make it through Saturday, Dude, which when is I, pretty good. When I showed mm-hmm. up, one of the first things that I said to you is like, where there's not enough. Like I looked yeah. at that stand when I came in at three o'clock in the morning. I was like, this isn't enough. People uh, are digging it. Strangers are coming in and buying it. Which is amazing. Yeah. So all that to say, like, so we had uh, 78 come in and we should get the five that we were shorted. Um that's a lot. 
our Batman count is around 70 between two covers. It's about 50, 54 and 16-ish. Um, and yeah, we should have gone to 100 for sure on this. And there's no way you could have known. Yeah, and of yeah. course, one of the possibly little variables is, do you think there'll be any... Any kickbacks, like people that we automatically sub to right. for the Rosenberg, are they going to go, well, I don't know if I want to start over again. Well, not, we not, looked through that today, and I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> we, like we, we tried that already. Um, and also, it's legitimately good enough that I think it's pretty unlikely that, you know, somebody would come in and say, is this good? Should I actually get it? I didn't ask for it. Yeah. And, and they and, would and, say, and nah, all, you, should, you should give it back. Yeah, so we, we all love this so much, yeah. we can definitely sell this to anybody <laughs> yeah well let's let's uh kind of bounce that around and add that yeah. as kind of a thing for the for the podcast just what what outsold our expectations yeah i dig whether that. we read that, it be, or not yeah that'd be fun uh yeah. thank you nathan yeah. i know we've got a voice or a uh, email from you as well so we'll hear again from you um all right well i'm going to jump into uh our first sort of official email outside of that x-men one and this is from phil satile who we made not phil. man the board tonight because he had a question on here and it says we didn't want him to blush and i made sure to not read uh any of these emails beforehand because i wanted to have the same footing as roman and Django. <laughs> this one says hey fellas Here's my question for Podcast 140. Why is Jeff a Frank Miller hater? Keep up the good work. You guys rock my world. Feel. Listen, um, Fal. Fal, I am immediately a little hesitant. I hesitate with anything that has a great deal of fanfare around it. Because I have a general pessimism and distrust of people. And <laughs> this X Men, for example, he hesitated. He's like, "Oh, everybody loves it. I should probably hate it." Um, didn't for a heartbeat. Um, I, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like people telling me what's good. I in everything in my life, I like to figure that out on my own. And Frank Miller is somebody who has a really large body of work, and some of his stuff I don't like as much as other people have have liked. And there's other stuff that I have not read of his, and there is some stuff that I do like a lot from him. So I would definitely say I am not a Frank Miller hater. I am not Roman with Bendis. But uh, he'll tell you he's not a Bendis hater. And then he'll fucking give Naomi a two because he hasn't eaten dinner. But there's other stuff on his I've given high scores. So yeah. up to a four. I, I so a six even. I I am working towards really liking Frank Miller. I didn't care for Kirby, and now I think he's the king of comic books. Uh, I do think there's a, an amount of the right time and place for things. Um, I, I'm right. I'm reading Born Again right now. I don't love Dark Knight Returns for some unique reasons. I really like Year One. I do not hate Frank Miller. I also think that Frank Miller means a little a little bit more if you were reading comic books at the time he was making his big splash in the late '80s, mid '80s. I think that he holds a more special place in your heart if if that was happening. In the same way that I think Hickman might 15 years from now, I think that he is doing things in a direction that is interesting and unique. And in 15 years, it's kind of like the Beatles. Like, the Beatles influenced everybody. So for me as a 29-year-old, it's hard to listen to the Beatles and feel like, damn, this is revolutionary. But when they were doing that, there was nothing before it. They were revolutionary. Yeah. So I hear the influences of them, so they don't don't feel as unique. I think Frank Miller falls kind of under that category for me. I love things that are highly influenced by him and as a result it makes me it makes it hard to view his art in the vacuum of of being really unique i think yeah i think the just the idea of frank miller and 
the context of how he moved comic books along at the time makes him maybe a more important creator than a good, like an objectively good creator. Like he did some really good stuff, but I, I won't fight anybody who says that they don't like the Dark Knight Returns. Like, cool. It's not your thing. It was absolutely revolutionary when it happened. Right. Like, I don't even know what I would compare that to now. Except for Chaykin did the TV sh- shots of news in American Flag before but, Dark Knight Returns. But that's yeah. not what was revolutionary. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Like, I know. yeah. He's not the first person to do that. He wasn't the first person to have Batman be a dickhead either. But yeah. Yeah. Roman, what do yeah. you think of Frank Miller? You know, I really, I really hear what you're saying because without you having that experience, like for me, and Frank Miller's Batman other than year one wasn't that impressive. But for me, his best stuff was Daredevil because mm-hmm. like when I was in what, high school? And I was reading his first big Daredevil storyline, which was, was that Born Again? Born um, Again was not the first thing that he did, but I think it was the... No. It was one of the, the his, major things. Yeah, his first big Daredevil run. And I remember me and my buddy Steve Myers in high school, both of us being like, this is amazing because nobody ever explored Daredevil's like moral center, his Catholicism. Um, nobody ever ex- had explored Bullseye as being like a truly psychotic, dangerous person. Holy and that shit, was they can't stop exploring that yeah. now. Yeah, well, so yeah, and that was all fresh and new then, but, and, but you didn't get to have that experience. And that's my other kind of complaint about Frank Miller is – is we are working really hard to try and kick off some of the influence. Like after Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, everything went dark. Yeah. And we are 20 years later trying to get less dark. And I got really into comic books to get deep into it. I got really into comic books because of the lack of cynicism in comic books to me. And I love Grant Morrison because of the optimism and the belief that like, yeah, just play, have fun. And I I love that. And Frank Miller... Um, I don't think his mission was to do this, but he forced or a degree of realism in there that was so popular that it, it became in, in everything else. Yeah. Superman was a cog in the American machine in Dark Knight Returns. Like, you don't do that unless you're a cynical motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yet we're letting him write Superman Year One. So that's probably <laughs> enough on that one, right? Any one sure. of these questions we could talk about that, ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, listen, guys, we got we got two whiskeys here. It's been kind of a Western day in, in Django's world. I was in Texas, man. Yeah, so you Let, get let's it. Let's do the... Let's let's start with this uh, Pendleton... I was raised on the range. Listen to Marty Robbins. What's, I, I So, you know I got to tell Robbins, you guys... Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, I know Marty Robbins. <laughs> Clear, I have a hard cool time... cool water. Water. <laughs> so, I want everyone to know, we're going to really just let this be a titan of a podcast. and if, Not a tight podcast, a no, titan. No, a titan, like a s- giant space whale of a podcast. So uh, don't let this be your first episode of the podcast. This is a long one. You'll just be disappointed after <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So if you were uh, if you were looking for a tight, succinct one, this is not it. Yeah, this uh, is an omnibus of the podcast. It is. So, so we're going to let it be long. That's what I look for in a podcast, so hopefully that doesn't piss anybody off. So... I've been having a hard time telling the difference between whiskeys. I just noticed, oh. that, I just noticed that X sitting there on the table. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we got two different whiskeys here. and I, like One is a medium good whiskey and one is a pretty expensive whiskey. So I want to kind of test them test. out and see, okay. see, see what it is. And I, I don't even know if they're the same kind. If anybody is listening to this just to hear podcast or comic stuff, I'm sorry. <laughs> fuck you. We're, we are multidimensional yes, beings. This, this is our whiskey interests. segment. So uh, Pendleton. Cheers, boys. Pendleton. Pendleton? Skull. What? Now, Pendleton is 
Fiddleton is fine. That's how the Yoda was born. But it does have an amount of like rubbing alcohol thing in the back of your mouth and the, your <laughs> nose. Like there's a there's an antiseptic thing going on there. It's got that, yeah. but it's also kind of sweet. Like not. It is, yeah. Not super sweet, but definitely on, on the sweet spectrum. I have just drank in plain Pendleton. Um, it's it's not my favorite. All right, so we got Dino's actual email question, and there's a couple on here, so I'm just going to pick a couple, um, and then we'll get into a voicemail. So this, hey, guys, congrats, 140 episodes. I have a few questions for you listed below. Basically, you pick one answer for the other and then defend it. Okay, so it's an either-or thing. Have fun, Dino Chimino. Number one, who do you prefer, Scott Snyder's Batman or Tom King's Batman? Um, let's Let's, with each of them... Start with Django, then go to Roman, then go to me. Am I being serious? Yeah. <laughs> Tom King. Roman? Tom King. For me, Tom King, 100%. I would say the world wasn't ready for Tom King's Batman until we had Scott Snyder's run on the New 52. I think it would have mm-hmm. been a terrible transition from pre-New 52 to Tom King. But having this like bonkers, cartoony Batman set in a very gritty real world that Scott Snyder pulled off and then turning it into kind of realism, James Bond, PTSD, love struck Batman was a really good contrast and Tom King all the way right now. I couldn't hmm. say it better. Yeah. I, that agreed. That was yeah, perfect. That, what did I say? Uh, you know, play it back in a couple of days. Tom King <laughs> couldn't have, I don't think the Tom could run ring Tom King. <laughs> <laughs> Easy for you to say. Oh, don't don't take that out, <laughs> I don't buddy. think the Tom King run could have existed without the Snyder run before it. Who no. are better parents, Reed and Sue or Lois and Clark? I have to start again? No, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll move clockwise. Oh, Roman, okay. you go first this time. Uh, Lois and Clark. Reed and Sue. Lois and Clark. Yeah. I don't think that Lo- uh, Lois and Clark represent... An incredibly healthy real relationship dynamic. I think there's a degree of secrecy or hmm. deception involved. And I think that you can't really super openly demonstrate healthy relationship dynamics when it's still kind of confusing if Lois loves Superman or Clark. Or I, I get that Superman is Superman and Clark is a disguise, but the world doesn't know that. So I think it would be confusing for a child growing up in that relationship. Oh, interesting. So we're going on the offense here. We're not defending our pick. We're offending the other pick. I would say that the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, is an absent genius who's kind of a shithead and too single-minded to necessarily do all the right things for the kids. I don't think that he doesn't love them, but I think that his focus is more often than not more detrimental than Superman running off to fix things when he's having a conversation. Hmm. And he seems I think to have like I think that's a good the point. values. I think that's yeah, a good that point. Yeah, a good point. And I really, I really like Jeff's point because I was thinking what you said also the fact that, you know, Reed tried to lobotomize Franklin when he was a kid because he was so scared of his powers. See? I gotta, I and gotta, Sue, and I Sue, gotta and stick Sue, it with Roman. And Sue yeah. left him. She, they separated because of that. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I right. throw in? Can I throw in one other couple? Because <laughs> yeah, who are your best parents? Well, Mon pa- Pa mine, Kent. Mine, Mon Pa Kent was <laughs> yeah. what I thought I was saying when I said Lois right. and Clark. Uh, I think that they trump everybody. I agree. That they supersede mm, yeah. everybody else. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Number three. What <laughs> character would you rather Mark Russell write, Spider Man or Superman? Um, Superman. Mm. Because, yeah, Superman. 
Yeah, Superman. Wow. Um, God, I'd love to see either one. Jesus, Dino. Uh, uh, I'm going to say Spider-Man. I would just love to hear Mark Russell's voice, his satire coming through Spider-Man. I like um, sort of what Mark Russell, to me, always elevates uh, a goodness. And I think Spider-Man mm. has that, but I think that Superman would allow that to shine the brightest. Yeah. I just don't want to really... He, Mark Russell did write Superman, and we didn't love it. It was it was like the sole flop of Mark Russell in our discussions. Better black and white comic series, Walking Dead, or original TMNT. Oh, God. <laughs> Better? That's what it says. Walking Dead. More important? Oof. Hard to... Yeah. Can't, I can't even Oof. calculate hard, that. Hard to argue the importance of TMNT, which or has Walking been the Dead. most financially successful independent comic series of all time i think it still even holds that record wow. walking dead is the reason we have a store right. as big as we do yeah hmm. um right yeah oh me um i can't really answer fairly because i haven't actually read walking dead so i'm gonna say tmnt <laughs> i'll say walking dead because i think it's a better comic yeah you have to pick a side autobots or decepticons <laughs> aside for what which side would you be on? Okay. It's you now, isn't it? No, it's you. It's me? Um, oh, man. <laughs> God, I, I... <laughs> Wouldn't be a Transformers and question. That's how the yodel was oh, born. <laughs> yodel. This <laughs> yodel reference is going to go unnoticed. Neither, none of the Transformers yodel. Yodelcon. Um, man. Do we yodel some more while you Thing. think? Sure. Oh, <laughs> I got you on the man Good thing, one, bro. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, damn it. You know, I know what's wrong. I'm going to say Decepticons because they're just cooler. Yeah, they have a great symbol. I'll go Autobots because yeah. Optimus Prime, you can't beat him. I'm going to go Autobots because they always eventually win. And I yeah. don't want to, like, as cool as uh, Shockwave looks. Shockwave? Who's the purple one? Shockwave, yeah. Shockwave, yeah. God damn it! I'm never talking about Transformers again. <laughs> Every time he again. brings up Transformers, that's the ongoing like secret thread of this podcast is that there are like 15 times in the last 140 <laughs> episodes where he's mentioned Transformers. It's been up, and he just clearly demonstrates he doesn't know anything about it. Um, you who's have to ne- be who's Necrocon then? You have to be a henchman for either Joker or Carnage. Who's your new boss? Oof. Um, I will go. That's the worst. That is the worst <laughs> job opportunities. Yeah, Whoever has to choose those two things. Who do I think is less likely to kill me? Who has better bennies? I think like Carnage is left less likely to kill me. I think that Carnage is... I would choose Carnage because I think he's less likely to kill me. I would choose Carnage because I think that there's a slim chance I would get some symbiote. Yeah, that's true. And the Joker's probably going to kill you. And I've... All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit something here. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't think I've read enough Carnage comics. I didn't know, like, I've never considered Carnage someone who had henchmen. Unless you count all those characters who, In like... Maximum Carnage? Demo <laughs> Goblin, uh, like, Shriek, Scream, all of this. So thing. they all get powers. Fucking Carnage, duh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say Carnage just because I've never been scared of Carnage. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Now, okay, I don't want to step on Dino here, but uh, starting with Roman... Riddler or the Joker? Riddler. Riddler. All right. 
I don't have to answer. I already I asked the question. I think that's because of Frank Gorshin. <laughs> you get to be Batman for a year. Who is your Robin? Dick Grayson, Jason Dodd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne, or Carrie Kelly? Tim. Um, my Robin would be Ashton. <laughs> Tim. Um, yeah, uh, Dick's my favorite Robin. Was he a choice? <laughs> he was a, yeah, any Robin that's existed is a choice. Okay. Yeah, well, Dick Grayson would be my choice. All right. Oh, that's so tough between Dick Grayson and Tim Drake. It is. You could it probably is. heal Jason, though. I don't really, yeah, I mean, that. I don't know if that was a very insightful assessment of Jeff's need <laughs> to help people and, you know, fix people, or if it was just a, a, you know, I don't know, but that was how I read that. See, if I'm Batman, I'm too screwed up to heal Jason, so. I also, think... is it is it Jason before or after? Tim Drake, for me, because I think there's less of a little brother complex with Tim Drake than there was with Dick Grayson, and I don't like needing to worry about being someone's boss. Hmm. Yeah. Good answer. And and Tim is, he's happy to be I there. No man, like Tim. Tim is my Robin. Carrie's my favorite Robin, but Tim is the Robin I grew up with. You get to pick one of the following teams to join: Justice League, Avengers, or the X Men. Which iteration? <laughs> yeah, I guess we can we say that we get to choose the iteration. Sure. You start. Is it me? Um, oh man, uh, the. X-Men Avengers or Justice League Justice League that thing he just did with his hands was weird yeah it was what did I do he does is weird though <laughs> Roman I don't is. know what I did <laughs> Roman is um, the George Perez run of Avengers with the Vision and Jocasta Scarlet Witch Cap Iron Man Thor Beast Dang. Grant Morrison JLA ooh mm. good one mm-hmm Blue and gold JLA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jango just like, who wants to do fart jokes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I on, farted Booster. all over Martian Manhunter's Oreos. <laughs> all I'm right. fart inside of Booster's force field. Uh, thank you very much for that question, Dino. Do you want to get me a voicemail here? I could do that. Um, this is going to be a bear. Do you think this is going to come out as two podcasts? Fuck no. It's gonna what be... if it was two podcasts like three days apart? All right. Let's, let's try this one. Barry. Hi there. Oh, my name is Eric, and I'm, I've been an avid listener for the past oh, about three months now. That's about how long I've been around. Um, and I just got back from Texas. I ate a lot of good barbecue. <laughs> so I was, I was just curious, like, oh, oh, what, what's your favorite food or drink to eat or drink while while you're reading your comics? If you do that, I know it might make your fingers dirty. Therefore, making the page dirty. So. <laughs> Who knows if you do that, but oh, just very curious by asking. Oh, I like to eat. Oh, bye. Well, first of all, I think that he meant barbecue. <laughs> Man, what's my... F- Barry, thank you for calling you, you Barrick. Sorry, wow. not Did you Barry. know that Barry was in Austin at the same time you were? Barrick came with us. Oh, Barrick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Barrick okay. is the third bear. He's been around for about three months. Um... <laughs> Favorite thing to eat or drink? Um, I've been known to enjoy a nice uh, marijuana cigarette with my comic books. <laughs> um, um, hot chocolate is mine. Hot cocoa. I, oh. I'll make a cocoa. Not like certainly not every week, but like I would say every three or four weeks I'll make a cocoa. I, probably not food because I'm very like multiple hands on while I eat. 
but a cocoa is important to me. So for me, I guess it depends on where I am. If I'm at home on the couch, probably drinking a little glass of whiskey. Not, not too fast because I don't want to forget what I just read. I don't like to drink and combine comics within like four hours after my drinking. I, I don't like to drink a lot while I'm reading comics, but I like to sip on a sip on something. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would drink whiskey on the couch. If I'm sitting in the backyard reading comics, I'll usually have uh, the official beer of the comics place. Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> no, the official beer of the comics place is the Super Elysian Super Fuzz. Fuzz. <laughs> um, For whatever reason, when we moved into this most current comic shop location, the only like six packs of beer we would get were Elysian Super Fuzz in bottles. And for whatever reason, that's just all we've gotten since for the most part. It's good. I think it was like the seasonal beer at the time. Yeah. And pretty much everybody liked it. Yeah. Um, But now it's available all the time and I'm down. Yeah. Uh, Food wise, lately it's just been watermelon, but I like watermelon a lot. You can taste it in the rosé. Yeah. Roman, what about you? Oh, you can. It might <laughs> It might depend on the season. Like lately, I've been doing a lot of uh Tuesday new comics, get out of here, I go down the street, get um fish tacos, chips and salsa, one of those aqua aqua frescas. Salsa. I know, I was going to say like yeah, Roman's <laughs> salsa. Roman, Roman salsa. says salsa. That's, that's <laughs> what, okay, how do you guys pronounce the thing that's in pesto? The the Pine leafy nuts? no, the leafy basil? Yeah. Basil or basil. Depends on my mood. What about you? I just say basil. Basil. I mean, usually but I say basil. I got basil. made fun of it. Really? Yeah, I got made fun of for the way I say basil. Somebody was like, you say basil. Yeah. I don't know if they were gaslighting me into a gag or not. Basil? But, uh, well done. Now it's thousands of people are listening to a, me talk about it on a podcast. That's true. Fuck. Um, <laughs> jump. I'm a jump. So thank you very much, Barry. Okay. Uh, uh, that wasn't Barry, was sorry, it? Sorry, that, that was Barrick. Thank you. He's going to be so pissed when he hears this that I called him Barry. Just fix it in post. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> we have an email question here from the great uh, supporter of the comic shop, Kimberly Rissler. Um, are, we, are we allowed to say her name? We certainly she, did. She didn't sign a waiver, did she? She I mean, didn't. she did in the email. Yeah, yeah, she did. Oh, yeah, so actually, everyone gets a waiver. Um, <laughs> wow, Kimberly, this is blue. Um, Ooh, all right. This is a little blue, Kimberly. <laughs> uh, I think you're using the wrong tense there. Are you trying to say it, it blows? Who has the bigger penis between Superman, <laughs> Batman, and Aquaman? Obviously, Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Who? Uh, wait, what is it? Who has the biggest the biggest penis between Superman, Batman, and Aquaman? I think the Superman and both Batman both have small penises, and they're working really hard to overcome that. Or maybe Superman has an enormous penis, but no one knows or no one cares. What do you think, Roman? <laughs> well, we saw Batman's in that Black Label book. And um, it was fine. Yeah, I, it was fine. I, the, I, the most impressive thing was that I wasn't embarrassed about my size, and I wasn't super excited about my size. It was like. Huh. That's about what I thought Batman's dick would look like. Hmm. I, I would say Aquaman, yeah. Yeah. Aquaman. It's something, something to do with the pressure underwater and blah 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 and his... Now listen, can we can we assume that this is a big dick contest? Like the three of them are standing sure. in a room yeah, measuring yeah. it or So the way she worded it, I'm gonna say Martian Manhunter <laughs> has the biggest dick between the three of those guys. Oh, sure. They're all huddled in a circle 
Martian Manhunter has used his uh, morphing abilities to make a giant dick and put it between them. But then what about Plastic Man? Because he could do the same thing. The question says <laughs> Superman, Batman, uh, and Aquaman. Yeah, that's no, no, true. No, no. That's the Read parameters. the whole question. That's the premise. Read the whole question. Who has the bigger penis between Superman, Batman, and Aquaman? Yeah, we only have so, three choices. Plastic Man He's and Martian Man Hunter Man are just slid them. their penises between <laughs> Superman, between Batman, the other and three. Aquaman. Yeah. Very good, Django. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, thank you for writing in. Kimberly, thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for listening to the podcast. That's You're the biggest amazing. surprise question probably ever. Biggest? <laughs> um, <laughs> William Elmer, uh, who actually wonderfully wrote two questions. Are this we going to the... make him follow up the dick question? He's got a great question. I actually haven't read it yet, but I'm super okay. excited All right. to. Uh, it starts off saying, first, I would like to confirm that I'm signed up for House of X and Powers of X as well as House of Carnage. Um, Crossover boy. <laughs> so that's a little meta. Yes, you can make changes to your pull list through our email. Um, this is this is the, the slowest way to do it. This is so awesome. The first question comes from my daughters, Olivia and Penelope, who are adorable. And I don't know their exact ages, but I think they're both under 10 and one is like five or seven I'm I, would, bad at I would say five ages. and seven yeah five and eight um I mentioned to them I was listening to a Comics Place podcast and they wanted to listen to it too. Uh-oh. <laughs> Alas, I told them their ears were too young for the grown-up discussions and bad words used on the cast. With that information, they wanted to know if you had ever considered doing a podcast for your younger readers who patronage your shop in which you could discuss some of the exciting kids' comics that come out every month. What are your thoughts on this idea? Fuck my, yeah! I love my, that idea. My mom played the Endgame podcast for my niece and nephew. <laughs> We were visiting like a month ago and I was like, dude, that was not okay. And she's like, yeah, they said there were all words that they had heard. And I was like, man, we were like buzzed and swearing and it was one o'clock in the morning and we were excited. I really like that idea. I would like to bring Brayden and Colette on as well to talk about it because they, um, yeah, the three of us have a dynamic uh, where Django's going to make fart jokes. <laughs> so kids I love would, fart jokes. <laughs> that's true. All the kids love fart jokes. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the Actually, giant never got Martian manager yeah, dick jokes. Yeah, yeah. They're not as the alien dick jokes as much. But Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. I I think that's a great idea. I think it'd be I, awesome to do, I don't know, maybe maybe we... Go once a every month? Every 10 episodes, we could do an all-ages episode. Yeah. I really like that. Or... No, that's too often. I can't not swear. But well, I mean, well, it can for maybe two do, hours do it out as of every a ten weeks. Side project, like there's yeah, there's like a time separate for a podcast feed yeah. or something. But it would who, be nice. Who could we bring on? We could bring in Echo. We could bring in. Uh, I mean, we could Will Elmer's we could bring in kid, absolutely. Um, Yusuf Tanha's daughter is amazing and has maybe the cutest voice in the world. She is awesome. Yeah, um, <laughs> we actually are incredibly in a couple of years. Colette's Oscar son, Oscar, absolutely. Oh. We've got um, <clears throat> we've got two Oscars we could bring on. Uh, we are blessed by having amazing kids that come into our store. I would love, man. Uh, already we're like not incredibly far in this podcast and it's a lot of time already but we've gotten a couple suggestions <laughs> that uh, yeah, there's some great ideas out there are like good for the shop and good for the podcast so this actually is incredibly beneficial yeah you people are fantastic yeah and Will your daughters are incredibly adorable and one of them is dating 
Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I don't know if you know that, but oh. Spider-Man is her boyfriend, so that's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, we'll also ask, what is the most misunderstood part of running a comic shop that a lot of people don't know about? What is the most stressful part of your job? And, uh, and he's got a sort of ending note. Will actually... Um, is a is a high up mucky muck. Uh, he used to be my boss at Domino's Pizza. He's like a regional. He travels all around. He's kind of like a, a king. Uh, and so he uh, only actually, a king would ask this question because this is a deep this is a deep one. And he mentions <laughs> to me like you know basically being associated with pizza job. There's a lot of misconceptions that you just hire a bunch of like layabout stoners and. Um, I was kind of that when I worked there, but I also worked hard. You know, I've been trying to be nicer to you. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> um, but, and he was saying, and, and I think that's, I, I really like that he asked that because I think that is incredibly related to our job because people apply here all the time thinking that it's just like, can I just hang out and talk about comics? And I think that for me is the most misunderstood part is this job is like, we are tied to a weekly repeating cycle that never stops. And if it did, businesses would fail. So it's relentless. It's, it's mm. never, there's new things every week. The new things that are no longer new need to go somewhere. The old things need to go somewhere. Uh, you have to keep track of everything. It, it is, it is relentless. And that is, I think the big misunderstood thing is that this is a cycle that re you know, repeats every Tuesday. And I, I think that another thing that uh, people don't, necessarily realize is and I, I didn't I never really thought about it in this way until Ron Warner mentioned it to me but comics are produce like new issues are produce you you get them you sell them for a week and then the new ones come out and I would say after the first week the desirability of and and like let's not even talk about speculator like Variance. like super hot eBay yeah. you know buy it and flip it comics, just talking about like regular old periodical issues. I would say that the second week of its life cycle is probably sixty percent as desirable as it was in the first week, and then I'll bet that you could you could show that the the sellability of that comic probably drops 10, five to 10 percent every week after that until it probably bottoms out at about five percent as desirable for somebody. And th like the idea that we have to order all these things in advance with some information, but not really a whole lot of information and is then predict that atrophy rate. Right. And that's the big thing about House of X this week is that it became immediately clear to me that many times when we order, we're sort of stalking for the week. We want right. to be sold out by the end of the week. And this book, this number one of House of X, I want to sell and will be selling to people for a month. In a perfect world, we would be selling this issue and all subsequent issues of both series for 12 weeks. Right. And then we would be sold out. Sorry, you got to wait for the trade. There's no way we will ever hit that mark on purpose. But Roman, you've worked here longer than anybody. You are <clears throat> without a doubt the spirit of this store. You're the heart of this store. Oh, what do you think? I mean, like truly, I started coming to this store because I wanted to talk to you. That Aww. is why I, I is, and Justin has the exact same story. Uh, you created a culture where people would hang out. He let me, with before I hired here, 
he just like left me sitting in front of the graphic novels to go home and get an issue of Scott Snyder's image series severed so that I could buy it. Like it, it amazing. <laughs> that is um, the good old days. The good old days. Because <laughs> yeah. no one else came in the store for the 40 minutes I was there. Yeah. And, but Roman trusted me and then he hired me, which is, you know, was a life changing thing for me. Um, what do you think is the most misunderstood <clears throat> part of, you know, helping run the shop? Um, I echo Django actually. Cause, um, that and when folks don't understand that because people some people tend to think that okay if i don't if i'm moving or whatever i can't buy my books no big deal it's you know they can always sell this stuff well no we can't because to use that vegetable fruit whatever it was metaphor no now it's rotting rotting on our shelves we've got to try and get it out of here somehow but now people don't want it, it it's i mean it's really an inconsiderate rude kind of mean thing to do to any business, but especially comic book stores. That's what kills comic book stores. And it's really a shame because that comic is just as good on Wednesday when it comes out as it is nine weeks later. Like that story is exactly as good as the, the entire time. Yeah. And so it's, you know, on the one hand, the comic book industry as a whole has to have sort of a, hey, Wednesday kind of hype train, um, but it leaves totally valid and good things in the dust, uh, which is which is a really weird, like I, I can't think of another thing. Produce can't be eaten after that. Comics can be eaten after that, and they're, they're just not, not consumed in the same way. And it's a problem that is exacerbated by <clears throat> the sort of 2000s culture of new and shiny that the internet yeah. has brought about, yeah. which the, the quicker you know yeah. about a thing, the more exciting it is, and then you move on to the next thing. There are 100 yeah. comics every week or so Yeah, that we get. 80 and 100, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I would say uh, the other hardest part that is part and parcel with all that is just ordering the comics because mm-hmm. um, there is a great room for error and... You're just predicting, but I genuinely love doing it. Um, I, uh, can, I, can I add a little something? Yeah, yeah. To my thing too, and also, you know, and I've been there. I've, I've, you know, back in community college, I've been there. If you, I mean, if you're embarrassed, it's been too. You feel like it's been too long or whatever, and you're embarrassed to come in. You still can't get your books or whatever. Just let us know. Embarrassment yeah, doesn't. Yeah, embarrassment <laughs> doesn't matter. We've all done we've it. We've all been. Yeah, we've yeah, all I, been I there. I did it with a fucking drawer full of cross that you guys kept for me for a thousand yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, another thing that I think it kind of goes along with your oh, you just I, I'd love to sit around and read comics, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I don't. I don't think that. <clears throat> I hope that we're really good at masking the oppressive amount of work that we get done in a day. So like Wednesday, I feel like we have pretty honest, meaningful conversations with dozens of comic fans, like our customers, they're our friends. Like we connect with so many people on Wednesday. We also check in six-ish boxes of comics two to four boxes of games, send out an email, clean up the store. Like That's on re- Wednesday. That's on Wednesday. <laughs> that's a ridiculous amount of stuff that we do, hopefully invisibly, so that when you come in, it looks like we're just kind of hanging out, shooting the shit, having fun. And we, like, honestly, we are. But in the background, there's a billion things getting well, and, processed. And that's a great done. segue into his final note, which is an ending on a more positive note, aside from getting to read a lot of comics, what is your favorite part of owning or running the comics place? And it's just it's you. that. Like, 
it's yeah, it's the customers. It's <clears throat> and without having read this com- this this question, I was even saying that to Django. Like, I was just in Austin, Texas for, I missed three shifts. I was gone for a total of six days. I spent the final two days talking about how excited I was to come back to work. And going to another comic store and talking to them for three hours. Yeah, I did. I talked to them forever. Uh, like, I love it. I love every part of it. I love the comics. I love the creators. I love the culture. I do love the oppressive work. Like, I love the repetitive nature of it. But The um, puzzles. Like, the puzzles that we get to solve every single week. Yeah. But getting to turn people onto comics is the best part of it. Like I, I love people that are like, I've never been to a comic shop before, and I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> We're gonna get you back a hundred times. I don't like. I don't care if you live in Seattle. I want you to go to a comic store once a month, right. at least for Even the next hundred years. Us, because I consider us to be the ambassadors of my favorite medium. Yeah, and I don't think I don't do it as a business way. I think that like. I just think that comics do do good for the world. I genuinely believe that. I think they're one of the most genuine and wholesome types of uh, entertainment, and there's obviously flaws in it, but um, I love that. And I love watching, like, Will, you mentioned that you had this question, and, and just watching you get more comfortable with reading comics. Like, I love people nathan busher is a great example of somebody who was like i don't know anything about comics and then like a month later is like okay well i like this bendis run so i'll try this thing because of bendis like learning to suss out oh i like i like comics oh i like maybe a certain company marvel versus dc oh no maybe i actually like this writer at this company and maybe if they did a thing at a different company i would like that as like it's this amazing network of connections that happens and i love watching people the sad thing about it is that at some point I'm no longer used to them. Like it's like it's it's kind of like <laughs> training people to not need you anymore. Like Eric Cranebrink is a great example of that where he comes in and he can like he can talk circles around me in yeah. canon. Yeah. Like we all know a lot of canon. Eric knows some weirdo obscure <laughs> not even like independent stuff. He knows super obscure Marvel stuff I that I think would rival Roman's knowledge and eric cranebrink is an awesome gentleman at the store a sidebar when i was trying to get this job i was like kind of hounding roman about it not hounding but I, I i wanted to i graduated from college and i loved this store and i wanted to work here but i was maybe going to move to seattle i had dropped my resume off with roman and i was way more cowardice than i am now but i came in one day i was like hey like, i just wanted to like see who you're thinking about for the job and roman was like well i'm thinking about you or this other guy and Eric Cranbring was in the store. He's like, oh, you want the job, eh? And he's like, all right, well, let me give you a couple questions. And he started quizzing me in the store. And I just fucking, I remember nailing it. But it was like, it was shit like, Chris has talked about Greg Rucka coming to the store. What are some non-DC books that Greg Rucka has written that you would recommend to a customer if he was coming to the store? Jesus, five years ago, six years ago? I, I said Queen and Country. <laughs> yep. Um, I forget what the other one I said, but the Queen and Country was the one that sold him. Stumptown? Was that uh, that old? Yeah, Stumptown was oh, out at yeah. that point. I probably said Stumptown. I had listened to a lot of other podcasts and read other stuff, so I was pretty informed. And he, he asked, like... Six questions, and, and he was like, all right. And he gave me, like, before I left, he was like, you've got my support. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was the moment that Roman decided to that, hire that me. That was so awesome, too. And Queen of Countries, because uh, Eric loves that series. Really? His favorite series of all time. Oh, man, that was so good. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> and at first, I was like, oh, my God, Eric, why are you putting this poor guy on the spot? What are you doing? I held my own. <laughs> but, yeah. Eric, uh, well, I mean, that's 
really that's the best interview you could get is like a trial by fire with a customer yeah. who yeah. knows a lot more than you might know. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, how yeah. do you answer their questions and or be humble enough to not know the answer? <laughs> and right? I, I still credit and tell Eric Kramer he will always have a like I don't think that I would have this job if that hadn't Roman had wanted to hire me before that but yeah. I, I think that that was the moment that I left it and I was like oh yeah that was I a, think I killed it that was a better interview than I ever could have come up with boy a lot of what you said is just so much fun getting to connect with people about this art form and 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 spreading that and then what, they, and what if you couldn't answer with his answer um, I did took I took up a he lot took of a lot of the good answers I'm sorry took a lot of the good it's so hard to not do that because advocating for the, com- the comics format. Um, I mean, part of the comics format, and I think we've talked about this in the last few episodes, is that it's like the lowest barrier to right. express your creativity. A movie takes millions and millions of yeah. dollars and editors and directors and people proofreading, whereas a comic can get done. Literally one person can do all of it. Hickman right. did yeah. Nightly News entirely by himself for his first comic book. In a few months. Yeah. A novel takes a year or more to write. Right. And and then the the reach that you have, like the, the ease that somebody can take in your ideas and, and, and digest it, like it costs. 20 bucks to 16 bucks to buy new issues in nightly news mm-hmm. or less. It might've even been 12 bucks at the time. And you can read them at your, at your leisure in, you know, 20 minutes or a half hour each, if you're spending some time on it and a novel takes days to get through. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's, it's just the easiest way to kind of connect your creative brain to, to your audience's creative brain. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I love that aspect of it. Um, and for me, like solving the puzzles of we, – we get thrown a curveball every single day. It's many, many times a day. And it's, and it's not even like it's, – it's, I couldn't even categorize all the curveballs we get into four distinct categories. It's like, oh, this guy thinks he's on uh, a Bluetooth headset and he's just shouting superhero names walking around the store today. Do we, that happened today, by the way. I went downstairs for three minutes and I was like, oh, I'm going to let Colette and Braden deal with this guy because I'm busy. And he was just like walking, oh, Superman. Yeah, I know about Superman. I was talking to Superman the other day. And like, so there's there's that. And there's the guy with shit running down his blanket who was outside today. That was less of an issue at the previous store, but yeah. Oh, yeah, but, but also like... Ordering problems, computer pro. I, I got out of bed like a like I was shot out of a cannon today because Braden called and said that he couldn't ring people up because I had edited the software a little bit, and so I had to come in here and figure out exactly what had happened and why. And I got it. I was about to give up, and I finally figured it out. But and and it's not quite perfect. It all it puts everything in caps. I've that's right I've been hitting yeah. caps lock all fucking no, I, day. I'll try to fix it. I don't oh know where that's God. defined, okay. but it's it's me. I'm I've sorry. Like, <laughs> did I just never notice that it was always no. in caps? Okay. <laughs> no, at least you can ring people up because okay. Braden and Coletta had to come up with a workaround this morning. Word. So just and not go broke doing it. And, well. and not lose our minds <laughs> yeah. doing it or hate each other doing it. Like we've got seven people who get along pretty well and all communicate well and I think like our job I could kind of sum that up based on what you said because yeah we're kind of, we're a family here and sure. we kind of have this the shop is our living room where people come in and we get to talk about these stories and that's pretty fucking <clears throat> awesome 
We're like, a family, French. <laughs> and our customers are family. Like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. It's so weird to call the people who come in every Wednesday our customers. Like, if 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 you boil, if you made a roux out of them, I guess they would be <laughs> our customers. But I don't know. It's it's not it's not as cut and dried as no. retail often is. I, I've worked retail since I was in high school and, you know, I've crossed the street to avoid record store customers <laughs> and I crossed the street to go talk to comic store customers. Yeah. And like, yeah. we need a better word for them than customers. We do. I've They're told our friends. No, they, I've told stories about, you know, anecdotes here at the comics place and, and I've always been felt awkward because i'm like well this customer well slash friend this friend slash customer because they're both yeah yeah Yeah. um great segue uh here's an email question from someone who came in as a customer i i it took me several months before i remembered the first interaction i had with them and we talked about a wrestling book um and it's just somebody that I like a tremendous amount now. Ryan Russell, thank you so much for uh, two questions here. Um, This is about to get real, real heavy. Um, Well, the two questions. I'm going to do the first one. I've had a few runs in collected editions where I read an issue or two as it's being released, and I ended up super not into it. Flash forward a couple years, something sparks a reason to pick it up and give it a reread, and it ends up becoming a favorite. Do any of you have series or runs like this in your life where you tried it once, hated it, and then revisited years later and realized you actually love it and maybe just wasn't in the right headspace the first time? Oh, I know I do, but I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sure Phil Satile is looking at me saying Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> maybe at some point in your life. Maybe you got to be 42 before it lands for you. Yeah. Man. Um, I think I do suffer from if it doesn't hit with me the first time, I probably write it off a little bit more than I wish that I did. It's dead to me. If I if I if it didn't get me, I I don't want it. Yeah, I I, I haven't <clears throat> reread things much. I haven't. Yeah, I. If it didn't hit, I probably don't go back to it unless one of my good friends here at the shop says it's highly worth going back into. Um, I do think there are many things that have slow starts. I There are definitely comic series where, I mean, TV shows like The Office and Parks and Recreation are two of my favorite things. And I will, like, I still have never seen all of season one of Parks and Recreation because I do think many things don't hit their stride until later on in it. Yeah, and the, like, kind of the the... The advantage that comics have where they are real easily consumable can also be a disadvantage if you – so a, a TV show can have kind of an okay first season and you can tell somebody start at the second season and you can go backwards if you want. But start at the second season. Comics, I, I think, don't always have that. You can't start at issue seven yeah. and then go back to issue one to pick it up and and – finish that so you kind of have to trust it i feel like i can't think of any old examples of that and i can't think of any new examples the only reason that that matters is that at this point in my comic consumption career i have a pretty good idea if i'm gonna like something from the first issue and it can be something that isn't for me and I can recognize that it's good and I can go back and read it. Um, but if it's something that is creators I don't care about and I give it a shot 
and I don't like the first issue or two, I'm not going to pick it back up because I know what they write or draw like. I've got one. Um, a good example for me would be Jack Kirby. Uh, not necessarily not liking a thing, but not like starting my comic career reading stuff. I, I was just like, yeah, he's like blocky and kind of chunky. Uh, yeah. And understanding the context, and it's even kind of that Frank Miller thing, but like, I think that he is now. I view him as like a, a deity. I can't like I am. I just I worship every line that he does because it puts me in a state of awe that it existed. But I didn't get that at all reading it. So it did take a change in my my way of looking at things to appreciate that. Yeah, and I don't think that that's exactly Ryan's. No, it's question not. But it is. It is I, a thing of like <clears throat> I did have to come back to it later in life. Right. She'll love it. And I, I would agree. I never understood why people cared about Kirby until we started kind of dealing in older comics. And as I go through them, I'm like, holy shit, this is <laughs> revolutionary. Same thing with Steranko. Yeah. Like when I look through the old Steranko issues, I can't believe that those aren't just printed 30 feet high in every single comic <laughs> book store because they're amazing and trippy and completely different than anything that comes out now. What, what about you, Roman? You you have a remarkably open mind, I feel, about things. Yeah. You read things that I would be like, I don't have time to read that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I try to. Um, actually, uh, here's an example. I know there's other ones I can't think of at the moment, but one example is um, Joel. Yeah, actually. <laughs> actually, yeah. Joel O'Connor got me to reconsider um, Bendis's infamous Iron Man. So I read the first issue. I was like, meh, don't care. Typical Bendis for me. My, my opinion. Um, and then I tried it again because of Joel, and I, re- I loved it. I, I really started enjoying that run. Um, and a future example I hope that happens with is I love Grant Morrison. I never understood the filth. I want to reread it someday yeah. as the graphic novel, and I really hope that it clicks with me because it didn't the first time. Right. I mean, that's taught in college classes. College classes. Richard, our amazing customer. But, yeah. but like, and friend. As, as something that you can't understand, right? Or, or does he teach it as, like, does he know what happened in that series? I, I don't I don't think that that's a book where a thing happened. Right, you know? <laughs> right. Um, the part, second part of this question, and, you know, let's... I feel dumb. Let's, tr- you know, we could probably spend the next hour going into this before <clears throat> the sake of everyone listening. Fuck them. Um, the contest of what... Yeah, you know, self-censorship's <laughs> important. The context of what's going... Don't fuck them. The context of what's going on in my personal life will influence what I'm reading at times. Sometimes I just want a big, dumb, easy superhero read. Other times I'm going through stressful times and I want my old heartstrings tugged so I can let everything out. Are there any life events you wouldn't mind sharing that you directly connect to certain books? Roman and I touched on this about a month and a half ago. Yeah. But, yeah, I lost my dad a number like eight years ago. Uh, Ten years ago. I don't know. Life. Um... And the Grant Morrison Batman run is intrinsically tied to that for me. That was a thing that, like, opened the gateway. Uh, 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 that's that why I like the optimism of comic books is because I was at a really cynical, really sad, really confused, disappointed, and I needed to re. I needed to relook. What happened forced me to reconsider everything that's happened in my life. So. Um, I needed some grounding, and, and the grounding that I found was in the belief that Batman could get you through anything because he can get through anything. That's a thing that is intrinsically tied to that in my life, and I think that that, 
Like, I have a debt of gratitude to Batman and Grant Morrison that will last, I think, the rest of my life because it really did get me through a thing that even now I don't know how I got through. Um, so I, I think that when I brought that question up kind of a month and a half ago or so, I was just like, I think that loss is a, is a, a real painful thing that everyone deals with. And I think that comic books can provide a lot for that. I'm curious, as well as Ryan, yeah, what are some other things, life events that you tie to comic books? Well, first of all, I'd like to apologize for every shitty thing I ever said about Grant Morrison's Batman run. Yeah. <laughs> I stand by it, but I'm sorry I said it to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, why did you choose, or maybe you didn't choose it, but why was it Batman and not Superman? Um, I was, I, you know, in my freshman dorm, one day I was using StumbleUpon when that app was relevant and just for whatever interests, one of the random things I stumbled upon was a New York Times article and it was like, Neil Gaiman's dealing with Batman's funeral. And it was referencing the uh -huh. whatever happened. It was, that was the week that that <clears throat> thing had come out and I stumbled upon it. And that just stuck in my mind of like, what's going on with Batman? Um, like four years earlier than that, my sister got married in Colorado and for whatever reason, my dad and like, I, I love comics very much because my dad, he, he got me into comics. He was the one I can remember being like four years old, driving around with him and being like, yeah, and there's a guy who has like a green ring and he can do it. Just me being <laughs> like, what the fuck? Um, so we went to mile high comics in Colorado and I didn't know how to look through things at comic shops. And I didn't understand that Batman hush was two separate volumes, but I inadvertently picked up Batman hush volume two. I must've been a freshman or sophomore in high school at that point. And, and I was like, holy shit, like, these are good, like, interesting and complex and mysterious, and what has been going, what is going on what around started? all of this? Yeah. Like, how is Bat, like, there's a dead Robin, there's a different Robin, the Joker's doing a thing, there's a guy that looks like, what? And it just gave me all these questions. So I think that there was, there was a bigger hook in there for me for that. So I, I didn't know that what I needed was comic books I didn't go from losing the, the circumstances that I went through. I didn't. I didn't say I need a, a shining light. I just need a distraction. Right. And and a thing that was a, a sort of a, an unturned nail or something was that there's this interesting Batman stuff going on. So I went. Batman was already it. kind of a touchstone for you. Yeah. And Grant Morrison's Batman is so built around optimism right. and perseverance. That's kind of the the moral of this. So I do think that it's also some universal synchronicity of just the right place at the right time in my life. So. I got to reread that again <laughs> because <laughs> of you. R.I.P. specifically from did it, the Yeah. From the perspective of optimism because I, like if I had to choose a word for that series, it would it would just be like preparation and, and doggedness or perseverance yeah right? like like I, I never even considered that there was an optimistic side of that but it totally makes sense because you wouldn't be as driven if you weren't optimistic yeah right yeah like uh, terminally uh, optimist yeah especially like in that series specifically yeah terminally terminally optimistic, optimistic. <laughs> um man i listened to that podcast that you guys recorded when i was out of town yeah that's not what comics do for me. Yeah. It it just isn't. I will I'll choose the comics that I read based on the the amount of time that I have or the attention span that I predict that I've got for that comic um or how excited I am to read it. Um so sometimes 
if I'm excited to read a complex comic like this X-Men, I'll bump it up. I'll bump it up to the top and I will manage my brain to be able to read it. Cuz this is this X-Men is not a light comic, right? So like your expectations when you go into it <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> aren't that you're going to be like in and out like uh, like this week's Detective Comics, which well, was I a almost, good comic, but it was a it was like a, a pretty light read. I almost feel like this question isn't talking about weekly comics. I feel like it almost is intrinsically tied to like reading a collection of a thing, hmm. like because I don't ha- oh, uh, I I don't ha- it doesn't go feelings to comic for me. Uh, it can go comics to feelings if that makes any sense like i don't think okay i'm i'm sad i'm gonna read this comic or i need this thing in my life so i'm gonna read this comic comics will affect me as i'm reading them but i don't feel like i seek out a comic to match my feelings yeah that said day tripper made me cry in the middle of a family reunion like fuck you day tripper and and yeah the first portion of it sort of alludes to seeking out but um, but I think, yeah, the sort of heart of this question, are there any life events that you wouldn't mind uh, sharing that directly connect to certain books? Do you have a thing where, like, you were going through it at a time and coincidentally you were reading this thing and, and because of the time and place and who you were, you have this a connection. intrinsic tie to a thing? Dude, on my way to see my dad the week that he died, like a month and a half ago, on the airplane, I read Deceased Number One, right, which had um, Alfred, Bruce's dad, basically kill him. And I also read another comic that week, and I, can't, I remember. I it. can't remember what it was. And then you read like Deceased Three, like on your way back, which is like Superman going, yeah. to say goodbye to his dad. Yeah, yeah. But like on the way there, there were two comics that week that were like super heavy fucked up dad stuff Mm -hmm. i think they were both batman even it was oh it was uh batman i don't remember but it was like there's the tom king batman thing where i think batman alfred was saying like just surrender you've lost or something something like that yeah it might have been that week and it was just like man you guys are are you guys fucking with me specifically or am i just more sensitive to this because i've got like all this dad stuff going on because i like i don't feel like i have a whole lot of father issues. Like I I think that we had a pretty good relationship and, and kind of uh, dealt with all the stuff, most, most of the stuff that, that we would need to deal with. And I think that a lot of people have a lot of dangling, like uh, unfinished threads. My life is just a big unfinished dangle with my dad. (laughs) Here I am, buddy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Here's Roman too. Uh, But yeah, like just, just to, I guess I I don't always identify that stuff, yeah. and it might be all around me all the time. But but that week, those comics were like fuck. All right, fuck you, and fuck you, <laughs> Roman. Hmm. I, I I yeah. I, I'm curious about your stuff. I, yeah, I'm curious too because I can't think of a certain like collection storyline, but certain characters and Spider-Man's one. But just yesterday, I read that. Uh, this week, a Marvel Tales Incredible Hulk one-shot came out that reprints, like, three Hulk stories. And the one, it's uh, from the late 80s, a uh, 
Peter David Dale Keown Hulk story where it first started dealing with exploring the idea of um, the Hulk being different manifestations slash coping mechanisms of little kid Bruce Banner's original trauma from his father. And there's a three-panel sequence where they're in the like the Banner's mindscape. Doc Sampson is psychoanalyzing him. Um, and it shows little boot Bruce. Um, and and adult Bruce is trying to get his little self to react, show some emotion at his, his mother's death. Um, and adult Bruce is freaking out, going, Come on, why don't you why don't you emote? Why don't you show some kind of reaction? And adult Bruce is 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 so concerned about this and little Bruce actually adult Bruce slaps him and then he's like shocked. Oh my god, I slapped my little self. And little Bruce he he says, he has this the camera zooms in, and little Bruce says something along the lines of, I can't show emotion, because if I do, it's gonna be a nuclear explosion. And that's where the Hulk comes from. And and looking at that, I was like, wow, that's uh, you know, my own sexual abuse as a kid. That's something you got and you guys have seen this with me when I was, you know, supposed to fire an ex-employee and at Art's funeral where I have moments where I'm around a great emotion where I just shut down because I, I can't grasp how to how to deal with it, how to do it. And like Art's funeral, I mean, Neil gave me, Neil said some great words and he gave me a segue, a great segue. And I was just sitting there and I was like, I can't move. I, I don't know what to say. And so that moment with the Hulk, and that's one of the reasons I love the Hulk because he's this traumatized child and he's, he's not a monster Everybody sees him as a monster, but he just doesn't know how to how to express himself, how to deal with stuff. It's this manifestation of Bruce's the little kid's trauma. And I think that like, yeah, I said it, you know, several weeks ago. As I was mentioning that, it's just like I, I think people use entertainment in lots of different ways, and comics can go for different ways. And and I am entertained endlessly by comics, but they still, to me, are this thing that are a teacher. Yeah, and. Yeah. Yeah, so that like, I I still look to basically all types of art. That's why I love music and why I love comics and why I love learning about creators is because I think that they're teaching moments. And I think that it kind of to tie into our Final Crisis podcast, which we're going to record in the next week. Honest. Um, we really are because I'm super <laughs> excited. But a big part of that is like, you know, at the end and at the beginning, we see uh, cavemen uh, drawing images on the wall. And I think that there's an incredibly powerful metaphor uh, with the fact that the first ways that people tried to teach one another were by drawing illustrations, assigning meaning to them on a wall. And I think that comic books are still the closest instance of that. I think they're still yeah. trying to teach and help through story and illustration. And uh, so, yeah, it's super tight into all of that. That was a... That was a heavy one. We did that one, guys. Yeah, and, and all, all, yeah, and all that comics, movies, Shakespeare, story. It's all stories, and it's all about communication, trying but, to trying to like communicate with each other. Uh, well, we got another another voicemail here, um, and just because this episode ends, episode one hundred and forty, um, and its subsequent second part, does not mean that people should stop sending us questions. Uh, this is an amazing amount of yeah, fun, and we would great. love to be able to throw a question on the end of every episode of the podcast. So, uh, yeah. everyone, if you're hearing this and you just sparks anything, please don't ever hesitate to write us an email or send us a voicemail. 
We've got a, another, another voicemail by somebody that we all like a lot. Hey everyone, it's Nathan Butcher. This, uh, this voicemail is brought to you by Caffeine. You know how sometimes you get your head swirling around like a concept or a comic or something in here. <laughs> and my current mindset is on Civil War and the, the, the Marvel event Civil War. And I'm, I'm talking like Civil War, the series. Civil War, the movie, uh, uh, tie-ins that had to do with it, um, the Chip Starkey Spider-Man life story that brought in aspects of Civil War. And I have some opinions, and I want to know what you guys think about the whole situation, because I think it's broader than just the Marvel event. I think it has a lot to do with, like, the role of superheroes, of course. That's why it's supposed to be so pervasive. So, like, I think, I, I've read Civil War twice, and it was great. I wouldn't say it's, like, unbelievable, but it was great. And then, after I read it the second time, I read the tie-in issue where Tony Stark and Steve Rogers just meet Clan Dustin in a garage, wherever it was, and they just have a conversation, and it was incredible. It totally highlighted everything that you were supposed to feel, and for the very first time, I legitimately felt, holy crap, I don't know who's right here. And I, I always fly back and forth, but I kind of tend to be on the side of Captain America, and I think we're supposed to be on that side a little bit. And then people struggle to make Tony Stark relatable, and he almost seems like a patsy. But, oh my gosh, that issue felt so great. There was a time where Tony Stark and Captain America are sitting here talking, and Tony brings up this point that people like Steve Rogers are so far and few between in the superhero world that... Nobody pins anything on him. He has this high and mighty stance that he comes across with because nobody dislikes him. And everything he does is met with praise and honor, and everyone just assumes that whatever he does is the right thing. Even running around as a vigilante, nobody, no, no regular person is like, oh, Steve Rogers sucks. And Tony doesn't have that privilege. And Spider-Man with people like J. Jonah Jameson don't have that privilege. And they have this intense conversation about, like, Tony is doing this because it's his opportunity to not be seen as like the guy who blows stuff up and ruins cities and is a selfish billionaire, but he's a guy who actually gets to be respected by lawmakers and in turn their constituency. And it was awesome. <laughs> um, then that, like when I looked at the movies, it seems like the movies were built way more on Sokovia and it was just, you know, just following up on Age of Ultron and it didn't really make me feel a whole lot and it was much more like United Nations bent and it, and it, it was hard to care about what either one of them were thinking as much, as much as that movie was amazing, especially since we got our first Tom Holland, mm -hmm. legit. Um, and then the other thing that I just did not care for at all was the Spider-Man life story of the 2000s when he touched on the... Uh, uh, oh, and then it cuts off and he had to call back. <laughs> uh, so Nathan, Nathan called back here. Uh, this is a much shorter voicemail. Oh, man, I got so blabbery, I got cut off. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Chip Zarsky, man, he's, he's like the freaking clown prince of comic book writers, and he just, like, chaoses stuff up. But I did not like the way he portrayed Civil War, and particularly Tony Stark in it. It just it felt like instead of, you know, making Tony Stark at the very least a passy, which I liked much more when he was seen as, like, a person who's doing this for the greater good of superheroes that don't have the privilege of, of Captain America, he made him seem like, he, you know, this distrusting, like, kind of selfish guy, which he is, but that's not what he was supposed to be portrayed in Civil War, and he has so, such a better heart. Um, 
maybe I'm just being thrown off by the Tony Stark in the movies because you just love Robert Downey Jr. so much. Anyway, uh, I don't know if this is good for episode 140 or not, and it was super long. Have fun trying to splice up. I hope you listen to everything at like 1.9 speed. <laughs> well, that was too long. We're not going to answer it. How about Civil War, guys? <laughs> like, not as a movie, but like that event. That event made comic events. Like that event... Civil War is why we have comic events now. It's why I read Marvel, I think. Yeah. And I, I don't read a lot of Marvel now, but I read a lot of Marvel thanks in a large part to Civil War as confusing and like three-issue spin-off different writers as it was. Roman, did you read... Like, you were working here at the time, right? Did you yeah. read all of the stuff the that came Civil out? The first Civil War? Um... Yeah, most. I mean, the majority of it. Um, yeah, and for me, I mean, it didn't make comic events because you know Marvel had done Secret Wars before yeah. that, and um, but line wide crossovers, like where everything ties into it. Yeah, and Secret Wars did that because they had they had like periphery stuff. Um, I ma- I mainly like the main stuff, like that particular issue he's talking about with yeah. uh, uh, Tony and Steve. Tony and Steve. Um, and I like the fact that it actually was built from – it was an outgrowth of the Mutant Registration Act and X-Men many years before. Uh, and I like that conceit that, okay, of, of registering people in order to make them, quote, unquote, legal, you know, which, of course, has resonance with our current times, with, you know, various times in human World history. War II. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot what his original question was. Well, you didn't really have a just our, just our opinion se. of yeah. I have an intense amount of deference for it because yeah, there were events in the past, but I think that that one was the first to have everything tie into it, and it made an insane amount of money for Marvel. Like people, it forced people not forced, but it caused people to buy a lot of stuff they weren't buying otherwise because they wanted to keep track of this multi-axle. Uh, look at this thing that was happening across everywhere. And I think that they're chasing, they're still chasing the money that that made. War of the Realms is a great example of Mm -hmm. like that model and starting miniseries. And um, I also think it's incredibly well written in complex, mm, complex is almost the wrong word, but nuanced. Like the taking a scalpel and splicing complex issues of morality into different viewpoints it's yeah. i think very hard for one person to create that many different voices and and um the issue that he's talking about and then the civil war requiem issue at the end um which also just yeah the the conversation between the two of them is is astounding and those are i think the high points of that series and and you're saying like it's it's not just we need to register uh superheroes and we need to not register superheroes but like when you're reading it you you kind of have to wrestle with both sides and like you, you it's not a black and white thing where you're like oh yeah totally on cap's team totally on iron man's team it's more like i kind of see where they're both coming from they both have yeah. good enough points and so then you have to like weigh kind of the greater good rather than just this blanket statement right? because i do think just like he said i think it, it is designed for cap to be the good guy but the fact that they were able to make 
uh, Tony as much of a, uh, a good guy as they did speaks to the strength of the writer. Sorry. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and the nuances, the fact that you have like Spider-Man mm. goes to Tony's side, but and I don't remember exactly, but Ben Grimm, they had some great portrayals of Ben Grimm struggling with which side he was going to fall on, and I don't actually remember which side he did mm-hmm. fall on. Because, you know, I was on a cap side, but I was like, oh, but Tony's got a lot of good points here, and Spidey's there, and I trust Spidey. <laughs> um, it was very nuanced. Like, War of the Realms, I loved. That was fun. But it wasn't as nuanced it lacked as Civil nuance. War. Yeah, yeah and, and I think it was the first time that we saw good guys fighting good guys, really. For the at least on that scale, for sure. But yeah. really, and that's a thing that has been done over and over again since then. But that idea of we really did take a duality that existed, good guy and bad guy, and we said, okay, what if all the good guys are fight? And I think that it, I think it was very indicative of the times that it came out, and I think it's very indicative of the times that have happened uh, since then. I think it was incredibly forward thinking mm-hmm. when it you was. look at like. Uh, minority groups that should all be on the same side of a thing who then sort of turn on each other for not representing their argument the way that they should see an argument represented. It's like, we're all the good guys here. Why are we now fighting with one another? Um, and, and I'm seeing that a lot nowadays. Uh, it's It would have been interesting to have the grand reveal of Civil War be that someone had manipulated all the good guys into fighting each other so the bad guys could get away with some shit. Yeah. Because that's kind of how it feels in real life right now. Like, if, yeah. if you get... If you can get a group to turn on itself, then you can just kind of take them out of the equation pretty easily. So Nathan, yeah, I mean, I I would love just for people as they're reading comics and going on these journeys of observing these stories to call us and tell us about their thoughts about them because they are complex and I love reliving these moments. And, you know, I read Civil War twice as well and it was a thing that I, it was one of the first like big hardcovers I got getting back into comics at that time I was talking about. And um it felt important and big at that time, and, and it, it's not easy for me to kind of, like, relive that moment. That, it, not easy in the sense that, like, that's a while ago. I You, you forget about these things that you read eight years ago, yeah. right? So yeah. it's cool to have a time machine of, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, how did I feel about that? So thank you for asking about that. Yeah. Civil War, uh, 10 out of 10. Did you have a little... Well, you've reached the uh, end of part one. Part one. Part one. Part one. Part one. Part one of episode 140 of the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast by The Comics Place in Bellingham, Washington. The Pacific Northwest premier pop culture podcast. We're going to open a new bottle of whiskey to compare to our old bottle of whiskey. Which you remember was Pendleton. Pendleton. And uh, we hope that you'll join us for part two coming out in just a couple of days. Yeah, we're going to get two out within... You're going to get the first part earlier than you would have gotten our normal one. You can have know, a good week. Stuff, stuff and then stuff. Um, I'm Django. I'm the one that likes fart jokes. I'm, I'm Roman. I, I like Django's fart jokes. I'm Jeff. I'm the one who really likes crying. <laughs> <laughs> I like crying while I fart. Yes, that's a big part of of Django's life. (laughs) We'll see you in a moment when we open this bottle of High West Whiskey and answer some more emails and voicemails. Thank you so much for listening to us, and we'll see you in a couple days for the second part. 